366, an innovative space for anyone involved in education, whether it be teacher, student, parent, or community member. Welcome to Room 366. And this year, of course, you know, we are planning on um, bringing to you experts from the community, experts in design. So that means artists and engineers are, are and other folks, entrepreneurs who are experts in design. We want to bring them to you so you can learn about what design, the power of design and how to harness it for your classroom. So today, Jennifer, Amanda, and I are bringing to you an amazing person who is pretty unique and is truly one of those experts in design. We'd like to welcome today, Dr. Trevor Roebuck. Welcome, Trevor. Hello, how are you guys doing? That was a really big build. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, we have big expectations today. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, actually, Trevor, you know, I tried to give you a big build without saying too much because I would really love the listeners to hear about you, about your journey, how you became the amazing engineer that you are. So uh, it started a long time ago as a kid, <laughs> as we do interviews. So I'm Trevor Roebuck. I work at Textron Specialized Vehicles. I've been here for probably 12 years now, I think. Um, Growing up, I always knew, you know, I, I have a lot of friends. They didn't know what they wanted to be. Since a child, I always knew I wanted to be an engineer. I, my father kept me involved with cars. We did a lot of hands-on stuff, building, uh, construction, building shops, houses, whatever. I've just always enjoyed the hands-on stuff. Um, my One of our first project cars we had was an old 68 Camaro and then my dad brought home a 64 Corvette when I was probably five or six. Oh, that's and I, awesome. And I guess it even goes back further than that. Uh, started riding bicycle as a little kid. My first bike had a wheel with a pedal on the front tire. It wasn't a tricycle and they say it was around two and a half years old that I learned how to ride a bike. And then from there I got into mini bikes and then I got into motorcycles. So really enjoyed riding and driving and cars and mechanic type work. So from very young on, I knew I wanted to work at a car manufacturer from like four or five years old, six years old. So all the, the little drawings that I would do on papers all involved really square, poorly drawn cars, but I knew I wanted to do engineering. So uh, fast forward to a long time later, moved down here um, eventually got into school. Um, so I'm not a typical engineer. A lot of engineers go through, they'll go through and get their degrees in four years. And we grew up not, not rich. We weren't poor, but you know, I, I, I was probably not going to go off to Georgia tech or, uh, MIT or wherever these other schools are, where you could spend a lot of money paying, uh, you know, tuition and then housing and all that stuff. So it kind of put a damper on kind of seeing your goal. How can you get there? So a big problem about doing stuff like this is seeing where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So started off locally, 
at Augusta University. Wasn't super great in high school, not a studious person. I do like, you know, science and math and hands-on stuff, but in order to graduate schools, you got to usually do other things, English and history and psychology and stuff that's just not at all kind of my specialty. So go to Augusta University. It's a, a nice, affordable school, but still it's not free. And outside of a couple Pell Grants, it wasn't a, a full scholarship. So what normally would take someone four years took me 10 years. So I would go for a semester, stay out, go for a semester. And I'd say it's better than not doing it at all, but it's probably not the prefer preferred path. You, you start to lose um, sight of your goal. So um, eventually my staying out of school went on longer and longer and longer till it was just not being in school anymore. And then, and then along came Melody, who uh, my first wife, I always, I always introduce her as my first wife. It gives her kind of a escape route when, when <laughs> things, when things don't go right, then she's like, all right, I, he's already set me up for the first wife. Okay, Trevor, she's your only wife. She's my only wife, but I always, <laughs> but it still doesn't not make her my first wife. So it's not lying. Um, but we went through, I like construction. I started a construction business thinking, hey, if I can't go straight through school, I'll run a business. And then from all that wealth, I'll be able to go through school. Well, businesses just don't start off mega corporations. It were long hours and it just wasn't going at the rate where I would ever get through school. So Melody put her foot down and said, hey, I know you wanted to go to through school. You need to finish up school if we're ever going to get married. So we started our marriage with an ultimatum. <laughs> no, but it, it was a good one. So went to school. We figured it out, got through uh, undergraduate school, and then knew that, um, that it wasn't an engineering school, but it did set you up as kind of a precursor for engineering school. Um, and then actually step back. It also didn't just take finding Melody to get me through school. There were some fantastic professors at Augusta University that, that you know, Dr. Robinson and Dr. Colbert, and then of course, Dr. Hogger. That's the first person I heard him shouting in a hall room. And I was like, that's gotta be my teacher. Super, super amped up and on, on 11 like Spinal Tap, he had 11, most people only go to 10, but he goes. Yeah, he, he maybe 12. Yeah, so got me super excited about finishing school because the, the initial thought was pre-engineering at Augusta University and go somewhere else. But I just, once I took his class, I'm like, I'm staying here. So then I got to meet all the other folks like Dr. Robinson and Dr. Colbert and Dr. Zell from way back and then a lot of other people. So that, that's what got me through that school. And then eventually I transitioned into engineering by um, applying to grad school. So had a couple different um, schools I applied to and, and really kind of after it all was said and done, liked the University of South Carolina. Um, it was still close. I'm not sure if I was ready to move away. I came from Wisconsin, so I had a, an offer for University of Wisconsin and I just couldn't see going back to 
<clears throat> the frozen tundra. So, so went off to the University of South Carolina and ran into some good professors there and was fortunate enough, I could not have done it any other way if it weren't for the hands-on ability, the mechanics side. Um, I got a research, actually I got a teaching assistantship, which helped to pay for school. So it was really all kind of a, a godsend because there's no way I could afford out-of-state tuition, driving back and forth because I was not living in Columbia. I commuted. I went back and forth an hour and 15 minutes there and an hour and 15 minutes back. And and so adding all that and gas, um, was fortunate enough to have a, a teaching assistantship, which I worked on there. It's like a senior projects kind of class. They had a, a, a Baja car, which is like a little miniature, looks like an old 30s car with a motorcycle engine in it, and they actually race them. So it was part of a lab and I had to maintain it and keep it running and do all kinds of stuff. And while working on the teacher's assistantship, um, I ran into some professors that had some really cool projects coming up. Um, and one of them was working on the Apache helicopter. And it That's was really, cool. it was, it was very cool. And what was kind of very interesting about how all the pieces fell together was my undergrad wasn't in engineering, it was in physics. And physics is a lot of wave-based stuff. So the project for the helicopter project was vibrations related, which really aligned with my undergraduate degree. So um, went there from 2002 to 2005 for my master's. Now, normally master's is two years, but that's, that's three years even in Carolina math. Even in Virginia Tech math, that's three years. So <laughs> only Carolina math. Ah, so um, while we got started, while we got started, um, the project got put on hold. It was a government project, so it got put on hold. And I ended up working on a, a vibrations project for Gulfstream Aerospace, which is separate. Um, but I really always wanted the, the helicopter thing. So in 2003, about, I started hearing that the helicopter project was coming back. So I began taking extra classes. Since all my classes were paid for, I began taking extra classes. Oh, and by the way, I transitioned from teacher's assistant to research assistant. And that's when I worked on the Gulfstream project. Um, then I heard of the rumblings of the helicopter project. And my thoughts were I could still work on it while finishing up my master's. So I started taking extra classes, which ended up being PhD classes. Now, Melody had never agreed, signed up for a PhD. Um, she might rather, I told her I was seeing other women or something, but um, we, she allowed me to stick with it. Um, so in 2005, I graduated with the master's degree had all my classes finished for my PhD, and then went right into the helicopter project. Got it. <clears throat> so that's where I ended up in, in actual going through engineering programs. Yeah, so, so you majored in physics because, mostly because of that professor, is that correct? Yes, yes. The, Interesting. The, the school, the professor, he was super hands-on. So I'm 
I'm not a studious person. I know I covered that earlier. Um, I'm not good with just reading books and understanding. And I have to touch things, take them apart, figure them out. And that's the way that's the way Dr. Hogger was. Um, his lab classes were very engaging and I could see it and understand it. And that's just more more the way I learned. Well, I definitely think that makes sense. You know, a professor, an advisor, whoever definitely can shape, you know, the direction you go in. So, you know, from what I gather from just this brief little intro is that you became an engineer because you loved being hands-on. You grew up around cars. But what, you know, what does being an engineer really mean? What what do you do at Textron? So, um, for a number of years, um, when I finished up school, I finished up all but my research. So um, they weren't going to pay me just to hang around and write a paper. So I got a, a job here at Textron Specialized Vehicles. Then it was easy go. Um, so we make golf cars and we make Cushman vehicles that run around plants. We make, uh, uh, I'm trying to limit it for when I first started, um, uh, Turfs, anything related to golf, we made. Over the years, we became bigger and kind of grew and incorporated more companies, which then made it kind of not make too much sense to sell. Uh, we acquired Tug, which is a big pushback um, for aircraft, massive, you know, 100,000 pound vehicle that pushes back 747s and, and all these things. So it didn't make sense to sell these things under easy go so it became textron specialized vehicles so it's the same company the whole the whole way through easy go just became uh a product line so now we make we we're a part of arctic cat they make snowmobiles and side by sides um we have an engine manufacturer because when you're in the side by side business you need engines um you know so what I do, I went from testing. I started here. Testing went really well with research, which is what I came out of doing for, uh, it had been six years, six years of doing research and, and, and data analysis. So you record stuff to see if it matches the math that says it, you know, it says what should be going on. Um, so then I, I came here into the test department and grew up through testing and then Eventually, he became manager of the test department and managed that for a number of years. And we would collect data, competitor data. So if you have an easy go golf car and there's brand B and C, you can record data on those vehicles and and see how you're doing. You know, not many people want to buy a $150,000 golf car. Um, some people I think I keep people, trying to get you to give me one. I yeah. don't know. Some people are fortunate enough, they can buy that, but um, most people want an affordable one. And if they look to the competitors, they're like, well, they can make an affordable one. So you're you're constantly looking, seeing what, what other people are doing. Um, uh, we do durability testing. So we would uh, go out, record data, which is a lot of fun. It's actually where we've hired a lot of folks from Augusta University through their physics department, because there's so much uh, acquiring data and then seeing that, wow, there's really math that shows what this trend should look like. So there's a lot of cool stuff between 
physics and testing, which we we started hiring uh, physics folks in the test department. So you you'd put sensors on a vehicle, no different than your doctor would hook you up with heart monitors and lung monitors and brain waves for those people fortunate enough to have brain waves, and then you would you know infer what happened based on the data and um, so that that's testing and then you know there's standards which you got to make sure you can stop a vehicle in a certain amount of time and that the sound levels are within a certain level so that someone could drive this thing for eight hours a day um, so you would design test fixtures so if, if i didn't want to drive a golf car for 24 hours a day for three years I got to build something that's going to replicate that, or you got to buy something that's going to replicate it. So um, that's that's testing. From then, I've moved into uh, advanced concepts, which we work on kind of like what future stuff might we want to do. So we we know what the product looks like over the next couple of years. You know what you know what the shape's going to look like, what kind of product it is, what is what's the hole in the market that we're trying to fill. So we we know those things. But then you have another group, and we're a small group of folks, um, and we're we're trying to think of weird things like eight years out or five years out. What might there be? And there's some things that are, hey, let's just look for a few years out, fears out that maybe we could co-develop with some other folks. Um, one thing that I could talk about because it's actually out way back in the day, not when I was in advanced concepts, but the previous group of advanced concepts folks, they played with lithium ion batteries, you know, lithium ion power systems um, to see how would you put that in a vehicle and how does it make sense? You know, if it's more expensive, is it worth it? Um, would people pay for it because they like the maintenance free side of it and the fact that it's lighter and you get more range and it charges faster? So that that was a previous project from Advanced Concepts. Um, they played with some, you know, scooter company engines and figured out you could put one of those in a golf car and that it 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 had better qualities. And then they found a, a, a company that met our needs and we incorporated one of those in there. Just recently, that tug company that I referred to with the big pushback, we worked on converting one of those. So it it it's often found in gas and it's often found as a diesel option. Um, but the rumblings in the industry were, what about electric? So we, not but a year or so ago, uh, put a, and a massive electric motor and a massive uh, lithium ion pack in one of those things. And yeah, that might've been lead acid because we, we need the weight there, but we electrified one of those vehicles and now that's something that's going to production. So that's, that's kind of the stuff that I'm I'm, I'm playing with. Um, recently, so, so, so Trevor, uh, hang on. So you are the person who's really kind of looking for innovative ways to push the products forward. We're based on what the company says. Hey, we want you to look at this far out. These kind of things are what people are talking about. What can you find or what can you design? Um, so yeah, that that's that's the group that I'm in now. That's what we do. We we look at acquiring stuff that doesn't normally fit where it's supposed to and figuring out how to fit it in there or how to design brackets or powertrain so that we can incorporate this stuff. Um, 
just recently I got to play with something that's behind me, um, playing with a, a series of microphones and I am taking sound information and I'm basically trying to create a sound camera. You can go buy these things. They're like, they're like $150,000 with the software and everything. And either figure out how are you going to get that money or you figure out how to do it. So using some background from, you know, physics and engineering, playing with the cameras and writing some programs, we were able to compile that information and, and get an understanding of where sound's coming from, because sound's always an issue. As you electrify things, other things start to creep up and become more noisy. It was always there, but it was covered. Uh, Ford, GM, Chrysler, whoever's coming out with electric vehicles now are running into these new things where they've got to mask noises that have always been there, but the engine's covered up. So that's just another tool, not even to help us get where we want to go, but it's to work on improving what we're working on to get us to where we want to go. So that's that's kind of where I'm at now. So for all of our listeners, you've now heard how uh, Dr. Trevor Roebuck, you know, got to where he is today. And I think this should be very encouraging for a lot of our students because not everybody goes in a straight line to get where they're going. We also heard about the amazing things that he's getting to work on in his job. And so we had to stop there for now, but stay tuned for the follow-up to um, to this podcast. This was part one. Stay tuned for part two with Trevor Roebuck coming at you. For listening to the Room 366 podcast. Remember, you can listen to our podcast every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform that you prefer. Also, thank you to our sponsors. Without them, we would not be on the air. AARP and the South Carolina After School Alliance. See you next time in Room 366.